You've tuned in to the recorded service of McGregor Evangelical Mennonite Church for the Sunday of May 23rd, 2021. Just emanating presence. 
Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, and 9 to 16. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. If you say, The Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted. 
Please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you today, happy for the long weekend. While we are saddened that we can't go out and do all of the things that we have been able to on other long weekends, at the same time, it's always nice to have that break. It's always nice to have that time to rest. And we thank you for it. And God, we pray as we rest, help us to focus in on you. Help us to see the glory of what you have done for us in full display during this time. God, this we definitely hold close to our hearts. And God, also, while we are thankful for this time of rest, Lord, we also recognize that it's very likely that it will not be enough. Over the past year of this lockdown, it's felt a little bit like a constant dripping on us that keeps wearing us down. This is the case for so many of us. And while it's wonderful to have this time off, this time of rest, we find ourselves coming back to things on Tuesday, often just as tired as when we left. And so God, we pray for all of us put in our way, whatever it is that we need to recharge, whatever we need to be restored, to drink deeply of you so that we can run to where you would send us to next. Lord, all too often we find ourselves feeling even guilty for admitting that we are tired. Even though so many of us feel this way because of the pandemic, for some reason it is still ingrained in us. So Lord, I pray help us to be honest about this. Help us to be honest with one another about this. Help us to realize that far from thinking that we should be feeling guilty for the reality that this has been a time hard for everyone, instead that we are not in this alone. So God, Lord, we pray give us the strength as needed to do exactly this thing. And Lord, we also pray at the same time, help us to rely on you when we feel empty of it all. Lord, this we bring before you today. And finally, God, as we look to cover the next part of the Sermon on the Mount today, Lord, we pray that your teachings come to us in a way that stick. As we learn about how terrible violence can be and also how to address it as you have taught us, Lord, we pray that that sticks. We pray that we recognize that the little things that we often think won't hurt anyone one way or the other have a way of escalating into much bigger things. And so, God, we pray... Help the message that you have for us today hit home.
Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26 and 38 to 48. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is an answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the good and the evil and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Welcome to our second Sunday, Dissecting the Sermon on the Mount. Now, just for a brief refresher, last week we began our series by looking at the Beatitudes, that list of blessings at the beginning of Matthew 5. And in looking at them, we noticed three things. The first, that they are preached by Jesus as wisdoms for how to live your life. Uh, the second is that they are also repurposed by Jesus. They are based on Old Testament prophecy, and they are rephrased by Christ to make it possible to live this prophecy out in the here and now. That is to say that if you live according to the wisdoms of the Beatitude, you can know that the coming kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks about, the place where those who are the least among us will be lifted up, it will come faster. And finally, third, we saw that the Beatitudes also serve as the introduction to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount to come, meaning that what we are going to talk about over the next six weeks as we explore the chapters of the Sermon on the Mount will all come back to speeding this coming kingdom of heaven laid out 
in the Beatitudes. That is what we covered last week. But with this summary laid out, the time has come for us to jump from the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount into the next major section of it, into the real heart of Jesus' teachings here. And to do that, I want to ask you to open your Bibles or cell phones or web browsers, whatever you are using, to Matthew 5, 21 to 26, taken together with verses 38 to 48. Now, the first thing that I want to do today is to look at something that is going to sound pretty boring, but that I can tell you from personal experience is very important to pick up on. I want to spend a moment right now looking at the structure of the first part of our passage today from verses 21 to 26. Notice that this section has three distinct parts. The first you can see in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now this verse very likely sounds familiar, as it is a paraphrase by Jesus of one of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. Uh, The part about judgment is a summary of what the rest of the Law of Moses says about people who murder others. But this is what the first part of this passage is. Jesus rehashing for us a conventional wisdom, a truth that no one is going to object to because it is so commonplace that who would ever think to pick an issue with it? Don't murder? Well, obviously, everyone is 100% on board with that. To which then, we come to the second part of the passage where, surprise, Jesus goes on to pick an issue with exactly that. (laughs) To criticize this conventional wisdom. You can see it in verse 22, where Jesus tells us that if you are someone for whom anger is an issue, well, you are already in need of that same kind of judgment that should be levied at the murderers anyway. More on what this means in just a second. But to finish looking at the structure, then we come to the third part of the passage where Jesus lays out something that we are to do to address this criticism of his in part two, to address this anger. You can see it beginning in verse 23, going on until the end of the passage. And to sum it up, before you do anything, even before you sacrifice to God, he tells us, make things right with whoever you are angry with. Settle things. Deal with your anger with others ASAP and you will avoid this judgment meant for the murderers. An interesting thing to note here is that the wording in Greek makes this part of the passage read as something that is ongoing. It's an ongoing process. Whenever you are angry with someone, always do these things. It's not a one-time act that just solves the problem of anger, but instead it's something that you keep working at. Essentially, if you want to tackle anger, head in this direction. Always address your anger with others as soon as you can. That isn't saying you should address your angers with others while you are both just ravenously angry. That probably won't end in anything, but as soon as you are able to address that anger, that is what you should do. 
These are the three sections that pretty much make up all of the teachings in the second part of the Sermon on the Mount. First, there is a traditional wisdom that is laid down. Second, Jesus points out an issue with that traditional wisdom. He doesn't rebuke it or say that it should be done away with or that it shouldn't be followed now, but instead just he points out that how it has been understood is lacking. And third and finally, Jesus proposes a new way to live, a new direction to head that addresses what this issue is head on. And again, while looking at something like structure may seem a little boring, it's very important to understanding what all Jesus is trying to say in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. And I actually want to show you why that is, because I suspect many of us have a lot of personal hang-ups that, whether we know it or not, come from the Sermon on the Mount. Hang-ups that keep us from understanding what Jesus is actually trying to say. And to show you what I mean by that, all I have to do is ask you one question. Why do you think it is that Jesus tells us in this passage that being angry is just as bad as murder. I encourage you, pause this recording for a bit, read this teaching again, and then think up a reason as to why Jesus says anger is just as bad as murder. Do that before you go any further. And I am betting that I can guess how you read this passage depending on the answer that you give. All right, ready? Some of you, I am betting, said something like the following. Jesus says that it's wrong to get angry because he is holding us to a higher standard, to a higher ideal than the law of Moses seen in the traditional wisdoms even do. Possibly you also said something about how all sin is equal to God. If you answered something like this, as I would have for most of my life, I am betting the following is how you read this passage, whether you noticed it was how you were reading it or not. You split it into two chunks. The first was that you read that traditional wisdom, don't murder or you will be judged, and then you smushed it together with the second part where we are told not to be angry or we will be judged in the same way as the murderers. Either that or you took the second part and you smushed it together with the third where we are told how to tackle our anger. Either way, two chunks, not three. And the reason I am pretty sure that you read this passage in this way is the same reason that I know that I read this passage in that way for so very long. Because in English, if you split it into two sections, that Jesus is telling you to live up to a higher ideal is the best way to understand what he's saying here. And I say that because in a two-part reading, with the part where Jesus lists a traditional wisdom, and then with the criticism of that wisdom, either jammed with it or with the solution that follows, with this two-part reading, it reads like an equivalency. That is to say that to Jesus, anger and murder are to be understood as just as bad as one another. And as such, we need to work to not just not murder people, but also to not get angry at all. If you read the passage in two parts, in English, this is how it makes the most sense, as that equivalency. And this is most certainly how I was taught to read the passage. I can remember at the Bible camp I went to growing up, we had a magician who came in and did a magic trick where he cut a rope into a bunch of different lengths, but then he brought them together again and they were somehow all the same length. And it was supposed to represent exactly this point, that to God all sin is equally bad, and so we must not anger at all. And while there is some amount of theological truth in saying that all sins are the same to God, 
that is a topic for another day because that isn't the point that Jesus is making here. Which I can tell you because it is not the best way to understand this passage if you read it in three parts. Which, as we covered before, is how we should be reading it. Because if you read it like that, then the best way to understand the point that Jesus is making here is different. And here is what I am betting some of the rest of you came up with as to why Jesus is telling us that anger is bad. Because if you read this passage, not in two parts, but in three, it makes a lot more sense to understand it to be saying that anger is bad because if it's left unchecked, it has a way of leading to murder anyway. Or to put it in a different way, to leave anger undealt with will end you judged in the same way that murder will because that is where not dealing with your anger towards others ends you up. And that sure is a better way to understand this passage, isn't it? Because in the first way of reading it, in the two-part way, where anger is equivalent to murder, that's a mighty high ideal to live up to, isn't it? I mean, who here listening to this hasn't gotten just a little bit angry at least once this morning already? I am the proud father of a three-year-old who is in a phase where she just loves to scream at the top of her little lungs, and I am telling you, I have gotten angry at least four times before my alarm has gone off even today. I try to always keep my cool, but I'll admit, I get angry sometimes, to which this passage, as I have historically understood it, served to make me feel more or less like a complete failure as both a person and a father. I mean, I try to lean more on Christ to tackle my shortcomings, but the thing is that there is only so much of that feeling like a complete failure that you can take before it becomes terribly hard to even want to try. I have felt this way. You have felt this way. We all have. And it's for this reason that it was such a revelation to me when it was first pointed out to me by one of my professors that I had been reading this passage wrong for all of those years. Because when you read it in that three-part structure, when you read it in the right way, the passage stops being about trying and failing to live up to a higher standard that is arbitrarily set by Christ, and it instead becomes something a whole lot more. It becomes a way that by doing something small, you can address a problem that is huge. Do you want to make the world into the kind of place where murder is a thing that no longer happens? Well, then you should work to address your anger in such a way that you don't start contemplating murdering that person in the first place. It doesn't need to go this far even. Do I want to avoid having my daughter think of me as a scary person? Well, then I should work to address my anger so I don't all of a sudden find myself flipping out on her in the first place. Maybe if I know that I need to cool down, that's the time that I can go into the other room and tag team my wife to come in and take care of her in my place. I have never been violent toward her in any sense of the word, but the principle here, that holds the same. And so, to me, this means something a lot more than striving and failing to live up to some ideal that I don't understand the purpose of in the first place. Because this is concrete. This makes sense. 
And while I still get angry from time to time, not only does this right reading of this passage give you the reason that you should be trying to keep on, it also, remember, is worded in a way that makes something clear. That to address anger is an ongoing thing. It is more about the direction that you head in than it is about whether or not you mess up here or there. Want to live in a way that does away with murder, does away with violence, that builds better relationships going into the future? Then live in the way that heads in the direction of dealing with anger first, and there you go. And this applies to the whole world just as much as it does to you and me. Do you want to address the issue of violence on a national scale? Well, then let's start moving things in the way that addresses those underlying causes to that violence, like the things that get our society's blood up, the things that get us angry as a people. And then we will be well on our way to doing just that. To which now, why don't we read the next part of the larger passage today? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There is our common wisdom from this part of the passage. But what is Jesus' problem with that wisdom? Well, it's hinted at with the examples that come in verses 39 to 42. But to sum it up, by paraphrasing one of my favorite quotes from The Fiddler on the Roof, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth has a way of making everyone blind and toothless. You slap me, I slap you back, and before you know it, one of us is dead. You sue me, I am resentful of you and retaliate, and before you know it, our families are in this feud the same as we are. You force me to go a mile for you, something the Roman soldiers could impress civilians at that time into doing to carry their packs, and it just bred a lot of widespread resentment and hostility, to which then I attack you in any way I can to exact my sense of justice on you, and before you know it, our people are at war which is something that I'll remind you happened all of 40 years after Jesus died. The traditional wisdom of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a good thing because without it, there is no check on violence at all. But it also has a way of causing little problems to become big problems to become monstrosities. Do you want to keep that from happening, then you have to be willing to continually stop escalating, continually keep turning your cheek so it doesn't go any farther. And then the last one. You heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. There is our traditional wisdom. But the problem with it, as is the same as our problem with both of our other examples above, is that if you only love those close to you and you hate those who you see as your enemies, it is far too easy for things to get out of control because what is it to you to bring violence against those you hate? So Jesus implores you, bring the problem with this traditional wisdom to an end. Show the same love that you have for your neighbors to your enemies as well. And the violence that plagues both your life and society can finally come to an end because no longer will there be that divide between us and them, but instead we will just all be family. Do you want to know how to address the violence in our world? The terror that keeps spiraling out of control to the point that it seems like there is nothing that we can do to stop it. The only reliable way, Jesus tells us in our passage today, is to tackle the issues that cause all that while they are still small. 
First, be quick to address the things that cause anger, both in yourself and in the world around you. Second, instead of being fixated on retribution, be quick to choose to keep things from escalating, to work to make sure that things don't get out of control. And finally, third, instead of dividing the world into groups of people that you love and you hate, love all as God loves all. Keep at doing these three things that Jesus teaches in our passage today. And the violence that so often seems so out of control, the violence that disproportionately attacks and mauls and degrades and kills those who are the least among us, the poor in all their forms, the mourning, the meek, the hungry, and the excluded and the persecuted, those who choose to be merciful live like this. And with the help of our Lord, this violence will never find either them or the rest of the world again. That is what Jesus is teaching us in these passages today, that these little things can do that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. This is how you live as a peacemaker. Not just by ending conflicts that are already in full swing, but by addressing them before that eventuality is even a glint in anyone's eyes. It's a hard road to travel because often the things that cause us to anger, they run deep before we even know that they're there. Beyond that, often we hunger not just for justice, but to see those that we think did wrong bleed for their crimes. That is ingrained in us as well. It's internalized to the point that we are quick to see those who hurt us as subhuman, quick to see those who do wrong as monsters instead of as human beings made in the image of God as we are. Not only undeserving of our love, but also as fully different than us, as animals that it is only okay to hate and lash out against. This is how we are. This is how we have been trained to be by our society around us and by the sin that's in the world. This is the way of violence, the way that leads only to the detriment of those named in the Beatitudes. This is not the way of the children of God. We who one day hope to be citizens of the coming kingdom of heaven. And so I tell you, instead of living this way, live in the way that works to address the causes of violence so that they never become a thing in the first place. There is no such thing as righteous anger between you and your brother, whoever that may be. So when you get into these quarrels, I tell you, be quick to address the problems before you. More than that, to your friends who cannot stand one another, work to facilitate the healing of their wounds as well. Do this and you will be a peacemaker. Next, there is no such thing as fairness that demands blood for blood. So when you are wronged, try your best instead of demanding retribution. To take your skin out of the game entirely, even if that means turning the other cheek. This is not saying to let abuse continue unchecked, for letting abusers continue abusing is turning a blind eye to violence itself. No, instead just be averse to being the one who makes things escalate. And to your friends who find themselves in quarrels, share with them your concerns of what is to come. Make it hard for them to choose to escalate their fight as well. And sometimes this will even mean getting involved in something that otherwise wouldn't be your problem. Do this and you will be a peacemaker. 
And finally, be afraid for yourself if you ever notice that you have stopped seeing someone else as a human being and instead you find that in your heart you only have hatred for them. You don't need to look on the news or on Facebook very long to see that this is a real problem among our society just now. There are so many different lines in the sand and all of them are, as Jesus teaches us, completely inappropriate. There is no such thing as righteous hatred of another human being. It is only ever just hatred, and nothing good ever comes from it. So when you find yourself feeling this way, do some real hard soul searching. Work to overcome this hatred. This doesn't mean that you need to stay around those that you cannot stand. It doesn't mean that you need to make them your best friends, but instead it means that you do need to see that all people are human just like you are. Nothing more and nothing less. So work to let your hatred go. And in doing that, learn to love them as if they were people just like you. And you will be known as a child of God. benediction today comes from the book of Romans. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go now and serve our God. In times like these, you need a Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. 
This rock is Jesus, yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, you need the Bible. In times like these, oh, be not idle. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus, yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, I have a Savior. In times like these, I have an anchor. I'm very sure, I'm very sure. My anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus, yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. I'm very sure, I'm very sure. My anchor holds and grips the solid rock.